Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. Good morning. Oh, good morning. I'm DK, and if you can, please stand for today's scripture reading. It is from Luke 21, verses 12 to 19. Before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before the kings and governors and all on account of my name. So you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words of wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by even parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. You may be seated. In the weeks uh, leading up to Easter and on Easter, we're going to pause our series that we've been looking at in the book of Ephesians to focus on and look forward uh, to the celebration of Easter because that's what it is. Uh, Easter is the claim, the celebration, the monument of why people believe and why it's worth being a Christian. But in order, and, and on Easter, we're, we're going to have a huge celebration. We're going to have food. We're going to have things to hang out and, and engage with. We're going to make it great for the kids. But in order to get to Easter, in order to get that celebration, you have to go through the cross. And, and it's not just Jesus' cross, but it's our cross. It's actually really fascinating how Luke writes out his gospel, that several times before he actually gets to the narrative of Jesus' own death, one of the ways that he prepares us for his death is actually talking to us about our death. That is, one of the ways that you and I begin to really access the meaning of Jesus' death is by going through a spiritual death of our own. So let's unpack that this morning as we look forward to Easter that you and I are going to go through a spiritual death. And, and a spiritual death, it, it actually has many, many facets. There's many ways you could talk about it, but the specific one this morning that we're going to look at in this text is that you and I will go through a spiritual death by being persecuted. That Jesus says, if you want to follow me, if you want to know Easter, you will face persecution. Let's, uh, let's understand that under four headings. One, that you will be persecuted. Two, why you will be persecuted. Three, what can happen when you're persecuted. And four, how, how you actually can process and take persecution well. First, that it will happen. So in verses 16 and 17, uh, Jesus says this for us in our text. He says, uh, you will be delivered up uh, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. Some of you they will put to death. And then verse 17, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. He says, you will be delivered up. That's the Greek word uh, uh It can mean to be betrayed. 
And, and that's a word actually that Luke uses all the time uh, and actually uses it to talk about Jesus being betrayed even the next chapter. That when uh, the disciples uh, sell him out, uh, one sells him for 40 pieces of silver, he says, the Son of Man will be betrayed, is betrayed. But here, he's saying, this will actually happen to you. And then in verse 17, the word is uh, uh, for hated, that they will hate you. It, it means to detest, to disdain, to show contempt for. Now, in, in the Gospel of John, when Jesus is talking about this on the night before He will, he will die, He says, uh, the world will hate you. Talking about the culture of the world, the systems of the world. But even here, Jesus makes it more personal. He says, even your parents or even your brothers or siblings, as in, it's not just that the culture will not be for you and make this easy for you. He says, you may go through something incredibly personal, somebody you swear loves you, somebody you, you, you would think, no matter what, they have my back, they may turn on you. He's, Jesus, right out of the gate, is giving us the enormous cost and reality about what it means to follow Him. Um, my family, we're in this situation now, some of you have gone through this, uh, but you know how when you, you, you go buy a new car and they advertise all of these uh, uh, pros, um, all, like, this is the last time we're giving this deal, um, this is the best sale ever, uh, this kind of financing, and you go in there and they tell you, you know, this, you're the only person getting this deal. And then they give you something that you swear, you, like, this comes out better than I thought it was going to be. This is so great. And then you go in that financing office, and there's just this fine print of, like, additional costs. And then you have to realize the warranty that they advertised, you, you, I mean, you basically can't drive the car at all except on Sundays for, like, an hour. And you, you, you went in thinking this was going to be this amazing thing, and you come out feeling like somebody pulled a fast one on you. You know what Jesus is doing right here before he dies? Is he says, I will never do that to you. He talks incessantly about the amazing benefits of knowing him, that, that you will taste eternal life. You will, you will be forgiven of all of your sins you will have access to God. You will have the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with you. But in no way does he put the cost of following him in fine print. He comes flat out. And he says, you will be rejected. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, he says, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know what that means? That means that your desire to know God and to fit in with the socially thriving neighborhoods and people groups around you are incompatible. Here's the question. Have you ever been persecuted? Have you ever been mistreated? Have you ever lost a relationship? Have you ever lost a social status? Have you ever lost... Uh, something that could have gone better at work because of your faith. The Barna Group um, just did some research um, for this new uh, campaign that they're, they're trying to launch to get people interested and exposed 
to Jesus again in our culture. And as they did their research, they defined people who were skeptics, cultural Christians, and actual Christians. And here's how they defined and figured out people who were cultural Christians. It was people who believe in God but don't ever share their faith. Now, that's a nice way of saying this. I want all the benefits of knowing God, but I don't want this to socially cost me anything. The church father, Chrysostom, he said this, though, you ought to not be troubled because you are now hated, but you should only be troubled if you are loved by the world. Look, if Jesus came the king of all kings, and they only gave him a cross. Why should you and I expect a carriage? Like anybody who sticks with Christianity only as long as it's going your way is a stranger to Jesus and his cross and has never tasted the power of Easter. Because what he says right at the beginning is you will be persecuted. Secondly, though, why? Why will we experience persecution? He says this very plainly in verse 17, uh, for my name's sake. Now, in the ancient Near East, a name was more than just a title on a birth certificate or on a driver's license. Your, your name was your story. It was your character. It was, it was way more into the depths of who you were as a person. And, and when you look at the name of Jesus and you look at his character and his personhood, it, I mean, it's, it's quite fascinating whether you believe or you're skeptical, because you can't deny that there's nobody in the history of the world who's had uh, more books written about them, uh, more songs about them, more cultural impact across uh, linguistic bounds, across racial bounds, across cultural bounds. Nobody has had this kind of impact. But it's fascinating is like the larger the impact of Jesus, the more divisive and the, the greater the hostility he is. Uh, Anne Rice, who um, is a very uh, well-known author, she's written a lot of the vampire novels, was a, an atheist for a long time, and uh, began to go through some existential crises and looked into every kind of religion she could, but found no answers, no meaning for anything. And so she, she reluctantly looked into Christianity and one of the things that she read, she wanted to begin to read uh, sort of liberal Christianity. And she began to, to read it, and she's a great scholar, a good author, and say and she found that this was some of the worst scholarship that she'd ever read. And she went on to say this, that Jesus is the only person whose scholars and historians study, who the very scholars and historians who give their life to study them hate him. She said, "There's no, no other scholars or historians give their time and effort to study somebody that they hate to the degree that they hate Jesus. She said this, look, if Queen Elizabeth is who she says she is, it changes nothing about your life. But if Jesus is who he says he is, it changes everything. And the human heart deep down knows that and hates that. And Jesus says, look, when you get into that, when you begin to know me, know my character, know my heart to the point it becomes your heart, 
and it becomes your life, and it, it bleeds into your relationships, he says that the world will hate you because of it. Now, what part of Jesus? Well, um, I mean, you could talk extensively on the character of Jesus and, and the wide nature of, of how fascinating this man was, but you could probably sum up the nature of his claims and why he was hated in, in really a simple uh, sentence. Jesus was a king who came to save sinners. That's the na- nature of his claim. That he was God incarnate and said, I'm a king, but I have a king who comes to die and to forgive. And you know what? The secular world hated it, and the religious world hated it, but they hated it for two different reasons. The secular world hated that claim because he said he was a king. And he talked about resurrection. It threatened their power. It threatened their status. It threatened the way they wanted the world to go. They, they, they hated the idea of somebody who was, a, who was a mirror, who was a mirror of God's character, who was a mirror of God's holiness, who was a mirror of the way that the world was intended to be, and said, I didn't just come to teach you, I came to take over. And I came to usher in my new kingdom. And it was an enormous threat, and they hated him for it. But, you know, the religious world, the religious community around him actually kind of liked those claims. But what they hated is that this same man would fellowship with prostitutes, would forgive tax collectors, would go be with people who the world, who the religious community had completely written off and said, you are not ever allowed to be in the temple. You are unclean. You are unworthy to ever be in the presence of a priest. And Jesus ate with them and dined with them and was called a friend of them. And they all hated him. And what you learn is that the name of Jesus is complicated, but it had no, it had no sides. Jesus didn't have a camp. He, he frustrated every camp. C. Everett Koop um, was the former Surgeon General of the United States of America. And uh, he, he, he got the nickname Dr. Unqualified. And it's because everybody began to be so frustrated with this man. C. Everett Koop, when he was um, appointed, one of the things that he was about and pushed for is he was radically against abortion. Uh, he, he pushed for policies uh, to eliminate it. He, he, he uh, argued against it in the medical field. And so the, the left side of the culture just read, read him off as a strong conservative. You know, we can't, we can't ever let this guy, this is a terrible person to be the Surgeon General, we've got to get rid of this guy. But then what he did later on is he actually pushed for extensive money, millions of dollars to be put into AIDS research. And said, we've got to pour so much into this and to go help these people and to heal these people and and to keep them from dying from this awful disease. And when he did that, the the left loved him and the right wrote him off. And what happened to this man is he began to have no friends and and, (laughs) and had no camp whatsoever. You know why? It's because C. Everett Koop's wife was a member of 10th Presbyterian Church in downtown Philadelphia. And she began to drag him to these worship services at night where Dr. Gr- Donald Gray Barnhouse was preaching. And C. Everett Koop became a Christian. And the teaching of the kingdom of God and who Jesus was began to deeply affect him. 
and to penetrate not just what he thought was the meaning of life and his eternal salvation, but how he did life. And you know what? The name of Jesus began to affect the way he did that significant job, and everybody hated him for it. See, like, you know that you're following Jesus when there are large crowds of people in the world who probably can't at some point be your friend. See, you will be persecuted because of the name of Jesus, and it's really important for us to get into that. Because a lot of times, people are hated on, and it's not because of the name of Jesus, it's because they're a jerk. And they're not in any way evoking the name of Jesus, but they're just mean. They just love to be judgmental. They just love to stand on a ladder looking down on parts of society. They just love to exclude people. They love to be foolish and speak a quick word and never listen. And you know, when we do that, and we come back and say, Jesus, they're persecuting you, I think he says, not me. Look, if, if you and I are going out, supposedly in the name of Jesus and not representing Jesus, you know what that is? That is taking the Lord's name in vain. Because the reason people are persecute you is one thing, is because you are loyal to this man Jesus to the point that who he was in his vast approach to the world began to take over your life. He says, you will be persecuted, but why? For my name's sake. But thirdly, if you undergo that, if you're persecuted, there's something amazing that can happen to you. Let me show you what I mean. He says this in verse 16 and 18, some of you will be put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. What in the world? How in the world can those two things be true? He says, what, you'll be killed, but nothing will happen to you. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But then in verse 19, he says, and by your endurance, you will gain your lives. The old King James says, in patient suffering, you will possess your souls. Now, what's he teaching here? Jesus is teaching us that when you go through persecution and when you go through suffering, there's something amazing that can happen to you. And I think he's teaching us this. Look, whether, whether you know this or not, something owns you. Elizabeth Elliot used to ask people, the question is not who you are, but whose you are. And the reality of life is that you were built to love something, and whatever you love possesses you. But for almost all of us, what we truly love is even though in one word we say we love God, our deepest love are things like our children, our career, our money, our stuff, our status, the way people think about us, the way we hope life turns out in five years, that's what we deeply love. And that thing that, that we love, it's not just a part of our life. You know what? It possesses us and it drives us. 
And it seems like a good thing until suffering and persecution, because if those things are ever persecuted, you know what happens is it's unbearable. It makes life impossible because when we get our identity so wrapped up into those things, you know what? They're fragile. They're the most fragile things in life. Then it feels like when there's persecution, when our kids get pushed back, when our job doesn't go the way it wants to go, when we have a dip in our finances, when something doesn't work out in a relationship or a community the way that we wanted to, it feels like we're losing our very life. It feels like the essence of who we are is coming undone. And you know what? That thing that's possessing you is not giving you life. It's sucking away your life. But Jesus says, if you will give your soul right now to God, and you will hold on to Him more than anything else, then, then you know what? Persecution and suffering can do nothing to you. Because the one thing persecution and suffering can't touch is a God who raises from the dead. And He holds you in the power of His finger. And if you give yourself to Him, then what persecution and suffering, you know what it will do? Is it will carve off all of the fake, miserable things that you thought were going to be your life, that you thought were going to restore you, you thought were going to give you what you wanted. See, what it means to become a Christian and live as a Christian is to look at the things that have been most important to you, the things that you, you've spent all your time, all your thoughts, all your mental, mental effort on, and to say, these are still good, but these are no longer my primary identity in the world. And these are not the source of my self-esteem. And I will not let these things control my highs and lows in life anymore. Only God does that. And if you will do that, if you will, if you will not let the things that own everybody own you, people will be so suspect of that. They'll be so confused by it because the secular world, what it does is it says the meaning of life is to be free to choose what makes you happy in this life. And that means any kind of persecution and suffering will destroy the meaning of your life. And so in the secular view of life, Look, persecution, it can, have, it can have no meaning in life whatsoever. If you want to know why persecution is so horrible for you, the hard question to ask is, is God really the center of my life? Because if it's coming in and it's giving you no meaning, that's the essence of secularism. And it means suffering and persecution. It can't even be a chapter in your life. It's got to be something that's written off. It's only an interruption to your true story. But with God, Jesus is promising here to give you a meaning so powerful for your persecution that what persecution does is it never destroys you. It only refines you. And when that begins to happen to you, that drives you like a nail into the heart of Easter.
Look, you will be persecuted because of the name of Jesus. But if it happens to you with God in the center of your life, that's what it will do. But how do you receive that? How do you take that and go out with joy? Go out with confidence. Look, the Holocaust psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, he said, despair is suffering without meaning. Look, being hated and persecuted without a deep meaning and understanding behind it is hell. And it's almost worse than the painful thing you're going through itself. And so the way to face it, it can't be without a meaning. You have to have a meaning. Well, what is it? Some people feel like we ought to just stir up enough passion that if, if you get really serious and you get really committed, then that will sustain you through persecution. But you know what? The night before Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's sitting around with all of the disciples and he says, you know what? You're going to be persecuted. In fact, he looks, at, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I, I've often wondered if Peter just looked back at him and says, please tell me you said no. But Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted and you'll fall away. And Peter looks at him and says, not me. Not me. He says, Jesus, I will go with you to the end. He says, I, I'm all in. I am fully committed. The world can throw anything at me, and I'll stay with you. And you know what it took for Peter? It was just a little servant girl to just ask, don't you know that man? Aren't you, aren't you one of his friends? And he just said, I have no idea what you're talking about. See, you have to know something more powerful than your passion in order to go through suffering and persecution. When Jesus says, you will be delivered up even by parents, he had to be thinking deep down, so will I that he had to know that the thing that he's saying, he was going to go through to a greater degree. Look, on the cross, and Peter learned this later, Jesus wasn't just betrayed by the religious leaders and the Jewish crowds. He was betrayed and delivered up by his own father. So that one of the last things that he says on the cross before he's dying on Good Friday is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That he's lost the Father to such a degree, it's the only time he never calls God Father. He can't even call him Father. And you know what that means? That means that Jesus was persecuted not just by us, but for us. And you got to know that, because if you don't know that, 
that enduring persecution and facing persecution will be something that feels like you got to hold on or you're going to lose God's presence. You're going to lose God's favor. He's going to be disappointed if you cower like Peter to a little slave girl. And that means the moment of persecution, it will, bo- it will be hard. You will wonder if you still have God's presence, if you can hang on, and you'll, ha- you'll wonder if this is worth it. And you'll hit a breaking point where you think this is not worth it. But if you, listen, if you know, and if you look at Jesus and see him persecuted and him lost for you, that even when you are Peter and tempted to walk away, you know what that will do? It, is, it means the persecution. Even when you failed, you know God has still not lost his presence with me and still not turned his back on me because he turned his back on the Son who never ever turned his back and failed in persecution. If you know that, if you know Jesus for you, you know what that will do? Persecution, it will begin to melt your heart deep into the power of Easter and make you like Jesus and experience his love in a way that you've never experienced it before. There's a great hymn that the church sings on Easter all the time. Soar we now where Christ has led, following our exalted head, made like Him, like Him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. You know what that hymn is saying? It's saying the crosses that the world offers us. It's saying, bring them on. Give us the crosses, because the more crosses you give us, the higher we're going to soar the higher we're going to rise. That, that persecution, what it can do is, is, is in Jesus, it doesn't sink you. It makes you soar. Are, are you soaring? If your faith is apathetic and bored, one of the greatest cures for it is Easter. And you know what Easter can give you is the power to give your faith a way to soar like it's never soared before in the midst of persecution. That's the first invitation of Easter. I hope you'll take that. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to live that hymn. I want to soar where you have led. I want to follow my exalted, crucified head. Lord, I want to be made like you, like you to rise And I want to let the world, Lord, throw on crosses. Give me my grave so that one day I'll taste the skies. I pray for everybody that we would be able to receive that, taste that, and know you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.